Hello and welcome to Comics Over Time, a podcast where we take a trip through the history of Marvel Comics with a focus on some of the important and interesting comic stories that inspired the Hollywood blockbusters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every two weeks we take a look at a batch of comics and then watch the related MCU movie or TV show. And then when we're done, we connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures and try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? The books or the screen adaptation? My name is Dwayne and with me again this week as always is Dan. Dan, how's it going? Really well. Been a good week. I mean, obviously as a Vikings fan, it's never a good time to be a Vikings fan. No. They, they finished off losing yet again so oh well such is the way of it but we're not here to talk about football yes for something yes (laughs) thank heavens comics never never disappoint me and this week actually we've got something pretty cool to visit about yeah back in in 2014 you know when the guardians of the galaxy first arrived in theaters they were near complete unknowns to most moviegoers and in fact, mm-hmm. they were only vaguely familiar to most comic fans as well. So the group is part of the Marvel Cosmic Stories, and they've been introduced way back in the 1960s, but had gone significant changes uh, over time and into the 21st century. This week, we're actually going to take a look at a number of Guardians comic stories from different volumes and different eras. This allows Dwayne to kind of see the evolution of the Guardians over time, and also lets us find out a little bit of what you're going to think of Marvel's galactic characters and, and everything like this. Yeah. And also, for those of you who would be interested in this side of things, it's also the first time you get to see me reading comics for the first time, really, in the, the experience of this. Because a number of these Guardian stories I had not read before. So I kind oh, of got really? to... Yeah. Who reads Guardians of the Galaxy comic books, for heaven's <laughs> sake? <laughs> That's well, why we, we do. We, they make a series out of it. We so. we do now. We do now. So, uh, we've got yeah. a pretty good stack to get through. But first, we've got some comic book news. And the first story that I want to talk about is Marvel. Marvel reveals first look at Marvel Voices Wakanda Forever number one. So this is the newest edition of Marvel Voices that will put a spotlight on Wakanda's cast of characters and heroes and has recruited a lineup of black creators making their Marvel debut along with some very familiar faces. And there's like six different stories. There's a a synopsis of each of those that is in the article. There's some artwork. The cover looks fantastic. Um, This is, they, they started the Marvel voices in 2020. This is going to be their now third year doing it. Uh, and it really looks interesting, and, and I love, uh, I, I, I'm very much interested in, in, in looking at this book when it comes out. Yep, these sort of came out of a podcast that was started a while ago, but basically they, they find a lot of times newer folks who haven't done comic work before, uh, or spotlight some younger creators who are, are black or folks of color, that sort of thing. And it's really interesting, some of the stories and the things they're doing. They also did a uh pride issue of marvel voices i think at some point in the last couple years yep it's something they come out with every uh, at least once a year something like that so yeah cool different things that they're trying uh with hopefully trying to find ways to not only showcase some of their creators but also maybe get some new fans 
uh, into the uh, into the comic ranks as well. Yeah, there, there's definitely some very interesting stories. Highly recommend you checking it out. Uh, the issue actually goes on sale on February fifteenth. So if you're if you're looking for that in your comic book store, that's when you will be able to find it. Uh, the other story I wanted to highlight specifically because we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy this week. And there is a new Groot limited series that is going to explore his early days along with uh, potentially the origins of Guardians of the Galaxy a little bit. So uh, very, very interesting stuff here. Um, writer David Abnett, who uh, actually wrote one of the one of the arcs that, that we read for for this week is going to be going to be writing it um dan abnett who he was dan really abnett, kind sorry. of important in sort of making groot groot essentially he's one of the he kind of redefined that character for sure. marvel so good so the, good person to have doing it right so the four issue series will feature groot's early days on planet x along the way groot will cross paths with the original captain marvel and an ancestor of a fellow guardian who will also be introduced. So this is a apparently this limited series is coming just ahead of another new Guardians of the Galaxy series that is coming out uh middle-ish or later, probably towards the end of 2023, um, from Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Uh say a little bit about that it says fans can expect never before seen planets brand new alien species and new truths that will make readers question everything they know about the cosmic side of the marvel universe so if you're there's also the groot fall i guess that was announced i'm not entirely sure what that is but groot number one this four issue limited series uh issue number one goes on sale may 3rd so good time to be a groot fan you're saying Yes, the, with the, the Disney Plus, yeah, the Disney Plus uh, series that that they had of of Groot shorts uh, mm -hmm. here in like September or October, I think it was. Um, yeah, there's a lot of Groot. If you like Groot, you're going to have plenty of content uh, to look at uh, with with that character, which is great because it, it is a good character. Yeah, Groot is a. They've gotten a lot of mileage out of a guy who doesn't talk, you know. Right. It's, uh, except, except we uh, we will we will have an exception to that at one point today. Yes, 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 yes. We will. So Dan, let's talk about the stack for this week. What what were what did we read this week uh, to get us uh, for for this conversation? So I gave you kind of a little I don't know a a sampler. Uh, of guardians books essentially starting yeah. out just to sort of throw you a little loop with the very first <laughs> appearance of a team called the guardians of the galaxy although it's not your guardians of the galaxy probably no. by any means no nope. from marvel superheroes number 18 back in 1968 69 then we've got three of the current series that are sort of the ones that that are using the cast of characters and some of the ideas that I think you would recognize as Guardians of the Galaxy. Starting sure. out with the 2008 series, read the first six issues. 2013, we read the first three. 
Uh, and I had you read just the first three because that was the ones that were done by Steve McNiven. So since it seemed like that was an artist change at three to four, uh, it would be a way to keep in numbers uh, low. So we just read it, sampled that one. And then the most current ARP from 2020-2021, we read the first four books of that. So each of those have storylines that kind of are leading into them and storylines leading out of them. So we are jumping into the middle on some of this stuff. Hopefully it uh, wasn't too confusing and it all made sense. But we'll find out, I guess. There, when we get to there, it. there were definitely some things that I, I feel a bit unsure about. But we will get in and let's talk. we'll talk about each of those individually here in just a minute. Who is the creator profile for this one? So I'm kind of going off a little bit on a on a on a tangent here. But we're dealing okay. with Guardians of the Galaxy. We're dealing with Marvel Cosmic. And today's profile is going to be kind of a personal reflection a little bit on collecting and some of that sort of thing. Because I'm going to actually want to talk about Jim Starlin. Starlin actually uh, didn't work on any of the comics we're talking about today. But he did start work at Marvel back in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s. And next to Lee and Kirby, he is probably the most important creative force behind sort of the, the Marvel cosmic universe and how it looks today. He wrote uh -huh. defining stories about Adam Warlock and Captain Marvel. And he was also the creator of two of the Guardians we're reading about, Drax and Gamora. Um, he also created a guy named Thanos, who you may have heard of at hey. some point during your voyages through the yes. MCU, right? Yes. For me, his Warlock stories actually are some of my favorite Marvel books of the 70s. Some of my favorite Marvel books from when I was a kid. And those were stories that featured Gamora, featured Adam Warlock, featured a lot of these characters, and just this massive mind-bending sort of stories. So, fantastic stuff. More to the point of today, though, Starlin also created one of my all-time favorite sci-fi comics called Dreadstar. He started this in the Page of Epic, which was kind of a heavy metal type series put out by Marvel in magazine format in the early 80s. And he progressed it into a monthly comic book that was published first at Marvel, then over with other publishers. So Starlin was actually at C2E2, a big conference or a big convention out in Chicago a couple of years ago. And I went there and I brought along my copy of Dreadstar number one, my actual original copy from back in 1982. Okay. With the intention of getting it signed by Starlin while I was there. Uh -huh. now, I've never been a signature guy or an autograph guy. Uh -huh. wants to wander up and like you know sir could you sign this it's just felt like yeah. an awkward thing to me but yeah. this guy was one of my comic book heroes right and it seems like if they're old enough that they could be your father it's maybe okay to go and ask them for an autograph <laughs> and just pretend you're still a kid right that was my theory uh -huh. so now it turns out gentle reader gentle listener that i am indeed not an autograph seeker because Starlin was nice. I really enjoyed visiting with him. We had a cool talk for probably about five minutes or more. About the only non-excellent part of that whole exchange at his table while I was hanging out there visiting with him was the part I had to pay for, which is that it was $10. You had to exchange $10 of hard U.S. currency in exchange for a signature, which then ended up being like brokered through a couple of other people wandering around at his table and it's kind of this weird formal process. I will always dig that I got to actually tell Starlin how much I loved, like, Ziggy Darklock and the rest of the gang. But 
that whole experience kind of now has this weird oily commercial feel to it that I think I would have just preferred to have skipped. And also now my copy of Dreadstar is not what it had been for the previous 40 years because it's got somebody's name on the front of it, which I don't know if I actually love. So I'm... What do you feel about about signatures and the like? You're a baseball guy. Yeah. Like, have you ever been a signature collector? Yeah. I mean, I've got I've got right, right behind me. I've got some autographed baseballs, and I go to these. So, did you get them autographed or did you buy them? No, I I took an unsigned baseball, walked up to a grown man, most of the time that was younger <laughs> than I was, and asked for them to sign this baseball for me. And they obliged in those cases. I always felt weird about it. You know, it always feels like it's something that you should, that if you're a kid, it's okay. But if you're an adult, you're kind of, you're you're looked at as being one of those guys that then sells the thing on the internet for for money. But no, I, I, I cherish all of these autographs that I have. I've got a whole collection of like baseball cards that have autographs on them. And there's definitely now, if I was to ever get to meet Jed McKay, I would love to have like my first issue of Moon Knight uh, from the from his run. I would love to have it autographed and I would be awkward as heck asking for it. But I think I would cherish it even if I did end up having to pay a few dollars to, to do it. So maybe the awkward is just a normal part of it and I shouldn't. I shouldn't feel weird about the fact that it's weird. Maybe that's just it. But it's yeah, it is. It's it's what it is now. I mean, if you if you try and go to like uh, Comic Con in San Diego or even like the local one here in Phoenix, you have to pay for signatures. You have to pay for photos. You have to pay for basically anything but that idle chit chat while the ex- while the money is exchanging hands. And now I will note that like there's a number of times where I'll go up to. You know, while I'm at these, I try to buy as many of the, like, self-published comics and stuff like that as I can while I'm walking the artist alleys. And when I buy a comic book from somebody, and they're like, oh, do you like me to sign that? I'm 100% on that all the time. Yep. Because I'm buying a thing from them, and then they're giving me this value add of, hey, do you want to have the personalization of, yeah, I actually got that there. And I've got a lot of those. You know, my... And, and when I was a kid, like when I was a kid and the autographs were free and you could wander around, my Sergio Aragoni's signature and little drawing in my copy of the <laughs> from, from back in the day is probably well past any of my $1,000 comics. It is the most treasured one I have because that memory sure. of walking the floor with my dad and going up to Aragoni was just, you know, absolutely spectacular. But, well, there you go. So that's... The Guardians, to me, will always be a little bit about Starlin, and Starlin will now always be a memory from C2E2. There you and, go. You know, and a, a signature on my Dread Star. All right, well, let's let's dive in and let's talk about the stack, because we got four four stories to kind of go through, and let's start with their very first appearance, Marvel Superheroes number 18. And I have to tell you, Dan, this... This this was weird seeing this story because this does not look like the Guardians of the Galaxy that I'm familiar with by any way, shape, or form. Can we also agree this is a terrible story and we don't want to it spend is. a lot of time on it? It is not a good story. No. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Essentially, all that really happens 
is that you've got these four different characters, each of whom kind of has their own origin story. And first off, you see Major Ast uh, Vance Astro, who takes off from Earth on this mission to go hundreds of light years away. He's going to be asleep for a thousand years and then wake up on another planet and colonize it. So he does that, leaves behind his girlfriend and his life and everything, wakes up on the other side and finds out that in fact, Earthlings developed space travel that was faster than that a couple hundred years after he left. They've already populated this place and they're like, well, thanks for your service, but you know, you wasted your entire life. So, and then somehow everybody gets taken over and enslaved and there's something going on with that. On the other planets, you've got Martinex and Charlie 27 as well, and then Yondu. And they all end up fighting against these Badoon and then sort of banding together at the end after escaping from them to declare that they're going to somehow free the galaxy of this menace. Yeah. At least that's what I think happens. But the art is not great. The story's not great. And, yeah. The most important thing is, other than Yandu, there are no Guardians characters who you'd really probably recognize. So. It's, so the, the first thing that strikes me about this is what, well, first is that, it, while it says Guardians of the Galaxy, Yandu really is the only character I, I recognized whatsoever from this. And he still has the the ability to control an arrow by whistling he actually yep. does that in this in this book which i thought was was actually fantastic i was like there is something linchpin all the way back from their very first appearance that is still with us today with with the guardian stories and that but the other thing that i think was kind of, that that stuck out to me and, it, and it's about the art actually is if you're familiar with doctor who and specifically kind of the newer versions of Doctor Who since they revived it uh, with Christopher Eccleston. Um, Charlie 27 to me looks like a Santorin. If you're familiar <laughs> with who the Santorins are, this kind of short stocky guy with like this like space suit on, no helmet, and kind of this roundish block head thing going on. I immediately was like, He's a Santorin. What the heck is he doing in my in my Guardians of the Galaxy book? And, and obviously this came before I think the first appearance of the Santorans. I guess I don't I guess yeah, their first appearance their their first appearance actually apparently was in 1973. So it's so so it's actually close. pretty close. Um but yeah, I, I nothing nothing important about that, but I just thought that was interesting. And and then also the the Badoons seem like they were familiar to me. The the name at least, or the idea of this of this enslaving uh yep. race of of creatures. Well they're the ones that are attacking Earth and everything else in the later books that were reading. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. There this this isn't the only time we see them doing bad things nope. to to in the in the galaxy. So Nope, the Badoon come back as uh as regular foes. So you, you see this ominous little bullet point called Quiz Time for Duanier, probably, yep. in our show notes. I'm scared. So, where have you seen all of these characters before? Oh, God. 
Mr. Viewer of the MCU. Where have you seen these characters This is not fair. And it's not fair because, like, I don't know who any of these people really are. And I'm sure I probably saw them in, in an MCU movie or movies, but didn't, like, outside of Yondu, I don't know where I would have seen them exactly. They've had only one appearance, and it's in mostly, like, an after scene. But if you remember at the end, and a spoiler alert for people who haven't watched uh, all of the Guardians movies, if you remember Yondu's funeral, there's a ship that comes in with the Ravagers and Sylvester Stallone is the lead Ravager and then yeah. has this group around him. Uh-huh. Stallone actually plays Staker Ogard, who is Star Hawk, who's going to be a leader. And he's got Martinex with him, played by Michael Rosenbaum, who's the Crystalline guy. Charlie 27 was played by Ving Rhames. Uh, and then there was a number of other ones like Aletta Ogard and Mainframe was voiced by Miley Cyrus and Krugar and Nikki, who are all later versions of it. So uh-huh. the this version of the Guardians has been sort of hat-tipped by the Guardians of the Galaxy movies in that after Sure. Okay. I had no idea who those people were in that scene. No, no idea. And there's really no particular reason you should have. Uh, other than other than really Martinex, there weren't any of them that looked specifically like even they would have in the comics if you were looking right. for Right. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. But yeah. There would have been massive extra points there if you'd have somehow got it. <laughs> I, I no. didn't. But, but as you'd have watched that one when you weren't looking for this sort of thing, I wouldn't have figured. Most people would not have known that was what's out there. So, all right. So entirely, it's amazing that that ended up spawning what were you know many different iterations, including including the next three that we're going to talk about. Let's let's move on to to two thousand eight, and uh, and that and and that and that and the first six books from that series. Absolutely. So. Guardians 2008 is a pretty decent run, actually. They had a they had a, a number of, of comics that came out in this one. This is actually Guardians of the Galaxy Volume... Is it 2 or 3? This is Volume 2. So this is the second volume of Guardians. And it actually ran for 25 issues, which back in the early 2000s was not a bad run. These books were written by uh, Abnett and Lanning. Had Paul Peltier and Rick Magar on art, Nathan Fairburn on colors, and Joe Carmagna on letters. And the team, just to kind of give everybody a quick overview, is Peter Quill, or Star-Lord, Rocket, Groot, Gamora, Mantis, Drax, Adam Warlock, and Quasar. And Quasar is actually kind of an interesting slash weird character. Uh, there's a bunch of different things going on there. But we will, we will kind of see her remain. Uh, her name is Phyla Vell, and she's from this reality or other realities or whatever. But um, in this one, uh, she's going to be there and, and working with them as, as the, the Quasar character. So this volume actually also ends directly after the Annihilation Conquest storyline. So when we start, like, Groot is nothing but a twig. A lot of the Kree Empire has been completely destroyed. Uh, actually, what happens is Ultron and a group called, or a civilization called the Phalanx, 
caused a ton of damage, especially on the Kree homeworld. Quill has brought together this team to defend the galaxy against threats like the Phalanx, because he sees there's a need for that. And their first job, actually, is to deal with a number of fissures Adam Warlock has found that are rupturing the galaxy. They end up fighting the Church of Universal Truth after destroying one of their temple ships that was headed into a breach or fissure, and they get in trouble at back at nowhere when Skull Infiltrators are found at the base. Cosmo shows at one point that he's a very good and very powerful dog while defending some of those Skrulls, while a time-displaced Vance Astro shows up in a fight or ends up having a fight with Starhawk. Gamora gets badly injured helping the team, Drax temporarily kills everyone to find the Skrulls, Starhawk turns into a girl at one point, which might just be... We'll talk about it, never mind. <laughs> uh, and, these books, and these books then end with the reveal that Quill had actually had Mantis mind control all the members of the team to make them more susceptible to joining a team because he was afraid that everyone there was such an individual they wouldn't join unless they had to. Yes. And at some point Drax finds this out and yes. is not you, pleased. Yeah, you you can't you can't do that and then talk about it and have it go end up going well because no. somebody invariably ends up hearing about it and tells the rest of the group and they get upset. Yes. So what did you think of these books? There is a lot going on in six issues here. It is it is actually kind of amazing and there was I, I will tell you that like I felt a bit out of my depth because there was there was characters that I wasn't really familiar with specifically I'm talking about Adam Warlock and, and Quasar uh, mm -hmm. the Church of Universal Truth I didn't really get what was going on it seems like there's time travel or alternate universes at play here we've got this Major Vance Astro, who goes by the moniker Major Victory, who I wasn't familiar with as well. I'm not familiar with Starhawk. And and we had a scroll invasion, but it wasn't really as an invasion. It was kind of like a uh, under uh, like a asylum seekers, basically. They're Im immigrants looking to get away from the scrolls that are doing bad things, basically. And Cosmo yep. was protecting them. And there running, was just running there an was underground just, railroad for uh, for pacifist skulls, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was there was there was a lot going on, a lot of characters and big and concepts and things I just wasn't familiar with. So it was it, it got to be a bit overwhelming. No, so the Church of Universal Truth is a, a thing going all the way back to the early Adam Warlock books, and Adam Warlock. So, I don't even want to get into it. Let's just say Adam Warlock <laughs> eventually grows up to be the Magus. The Magus is the leader of the Universal Church uh, of Truth. And eventually, Adam Warlock has to commit suicide eventually by killing the Magus to prevent... Or killing himself to prevent the Magus to... I haven't read those comics in too long. It's a whole thing. But this yeah. is Starlin stuff from back in the day, and they've recurred sure. regularly. So you see them every once in a while. Usually, uh, like there's a there's an Adam Warlock connection somehow. Right. So, and I try to I try to keep up as much as I can on the Adam Warlock stuff. So I had read a couple of these early issues, but um, but yeah, the churches they're always trouble. And the idea is that 
they they like power their ships by taking people and essentially enslaving them as engines and the people's faith then is collected to drive the engines of the of right. these huge cathedral space cathedral things so it's very high concept very cynical science fiction at its best when you really get into the church universal truth it is the deep end like you start with this and not only are you coming <laughs> yep. out of you know the annihilation conquest all of these annihilation events are massive and then they're building to another event as well so because of that you've got more stuff going on and these guys are just stuck in the middle of it How about the humor? Like, did these feel like Guardians of the Galaxy books to you at all? They, they, they started to. Yes, there was definitely some some barbs between the characters back and forth while they're fighting. Uh, what one concept that I actually really did like about these books is they had these panels where it was the character being it, the debriefing log, and they were like, <laughs> it was it was like your reality shows today where. Where, where the character is talking basically to you, the audience, uh, uh, telling you things they're thinking, things that they're, you know, doing and, and this sort of thing. And, and it was it was really quite effective, I thought, because it was like showing a few panels and then it would do one of these for for somebody that was that was key to what was going on in that moment. It, it, it felt like a it, it felt like I was reading the equivalent of a reality tv show almost in in the way the kind of the story was being told but between that and then like the like the humor like you're talking about like the them poking fun at each other and just sort of it started to feel a lot more like the guardians of the galaxy from the movies that i was a lot more familiar with and i think i didn't even recognize when i first watched the movie just how much a lot of the the tropes did actually come directly out of the comics. Like the, the connection between Rocket and Groot. And the fact that Rocket is always, you know, that Groot is this unbelievably powerful but somewhat fragile creature. And that yeah. he is constantly saving the Guardian's butt, kind of like he does with the big, you know, the big uh, sort of like tree ball and the like. But he uh, also ends up ends up mostly dead all the time. And then yep. Rocket's got to go and find a piece of him and bring him back and plant him and bring him back to life. And I think that Peter Quill is kind of this conceited stuck uh, like, um, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's very full of himself. He's kind of the ladies' man and everything like that. So that part of the personality, I think, held. Um, Gamora is similar in a lot of ways because she's somebody who looks like she's looking for that connection and the like but she's still ridiculously badass obviously and kind of one of the tanks drax isn't as dumb as he is obviously no. like drax in the comics is a force to be reckoned with he is he's super powerful but he's also like somebody who knows his tactics and the like and he is extremely direct but you know that that idea that I think I want to save everyone or, or figure out where the scrolls are. When scrolls die, they revert to their regular form. So if I just kill everybody on the space station temporarily, then I'll be able to get a read on the scrolls because they'll have reverted when they died. Yes. Right? Most people would not think of that approach. <laughs> you know? 
They definitely so, would, and they definitely wouldn't think Drax from the MCU would be the one to come no. up with that idea. No, not at all. Mantis is similar, um, but but different. I think Mantis has a lot of differences in her personality. Adam Warlock, we haven't seen much of yet. We've only seen the very basics of him in the MCU, but uh, and then Quasar, we haven't either. But the but for the characters that were there, I actually think that. You know, as somebody who's watched the the movies, yeah, you can slide into these characters and these these stories relatively easily from that. There's not anything jarring really about it. Yeah, yeah. Or was there? It, no, it. I agree with you in the in the fact that the characters sort of felt like the characters I knew, but everything else around it mm-hmm. felt fish out of water. And. Again, that is the Marvel Cosmic Universe for you. You know, sure. there are there are a bunch of these books like Nova and Quasar and all of these sorts that have been out there over the years. And a lot of us who even read more, you know, I read Marvel heavily back in the day, but I I had a hard time keeping up with and staying entertained by some of the cosmic stuff. Marvel has had a tough time getting those characters to really stick for people like getting nova to be a big character or getting quasar to be a big character or getting really guardians for the longest time they didn't have any of these star-faring characters who really were top-notch you know they had captain marvel back in the day that they eventually they killed him off but they tried that um Aliens have always been aliens who are at their best in the Marvel Universe when they kind of come to Earth or invading Earth and they're the antagonist. We don't have a lot of them where the alien is actually out in space being a protagonist. And Guardians has been kind of a, a sea change for that when they, they actually broke through. So, so yeah. They seem like a, kind of a dysfunctional team. Again, Marvel Snap Guy, you've been playing Cosmo for a while. What did you think yes. of Cosmo in these books? He's a, he's a, he's a Soviet dog and he talks like a Soviet dog. And uh it was it was it was cute, I guess. It that it was it was weird. Like I yeah, I don't know Cosmo very much. Seen like the most exposure we've had of Cosmo was the holiday special that just aired a few weeks ago and and we know going forward that Cosmo is going to be kind of a part of the Guardians, and so it was not. It was kind of nice seeing what that character looked like in in there. And so it, this was, from my understanding, Cosmo is a was a Russian space dog that got launched into space, uh, you know, in the in the like sixties, and then somehow got lost in space and got somehow mutated. Uh, got mutant powers and so uh, speaks to and, and so they so can speak to people and and ended up in nowhere and is now the chief of security at, in, in nowhere and evidently has enough mental power that he can basically put the entire station on its knees if he decides he's angry yes everyone was fighting and he finally just said you're yeah. going to stop Enough. now. <laughs> yeah. and, then, Enough. and then it was everybody waking up in sick bays or something like this. So yeah, he, uh, he's he got some power. 
So we'll see how that works out in the uh, in the in the movies. What what else might you have from this? Anything else that came up you wanted to talk about? No, I I think I think what's I have some questions about some of the like the other characters like Nova and and Quasar and that and I know we're gonna see more of them throughout these next set of books as well. So let's let's move on to to Guardians of the Galaxy in twenty thirteen and and the uh, the three issue run by a a guy that I've actually uh, recognized from some of our Moon Knight comics, Brian Michael Bendis. Absolutely. So yeah, this comes five years later, and this one written by Bendis and drawn by Steve McNiven. And McNiven is a absolutely consummate artist. You've seen him. He did some uh, some covers at least on Moon Knight. I don't believe he's ever done Moon Knight interiors, but maybe he has. Uh, it's inked by John Dell with Justin Ponser on colors and Corey Petit on letters. And in this one. We start out with a team of Star-Lord, Gamora, Groot, Drax, and Iron Man. So, oh, and hold on. Uh, Rocket's there too, isn't he? Yeah, I think Rocket Rocket's is there, there. too. Yeah. So I, I don't know. The regular I, don't, theme. I don't know if, if Iron Man, Tony Stark, is actually a member of the team, but he is... He, he is... Uh, enlisting the services or assisting the guardians in this he's a fellow traveler at this point very in any case because fellow space traveler no less actually kind of gets picked up by them on uh after they they explore something together and then take down an invasion of earth together and get arrested together get tortured by star lord's dad together so yeah i think i think he should be able to call himself part of the team at this point so sure yeah, basically, um, Star-Lord's dad is angry that his son won't join him in sort of ruling the galaxy with an iron fist, as he wants to do. And so he actually sets a trap for him by getting Earth declared to be off-limits to all aliens, <clears throat> even those who want to protect it. So, at this point, and I think he probably, you know bought off some Badoon to do this, but soon <laughs> soon after this happens, a Badoon group starts invading the Earth. The Guardians and Iron Man end up stepping in and stopping that invasion. And then afterwards, as soon as it's over, this group of ships comes in and says, hey, Earth's under protection. You're all under arrest. They get sort of dragged out of there, uh, put onto this ship. Iron Man's armor is pried off, and everybody else is... Um, is sort of put in suspended animation. Luckily, though, they they neglect the little twig that is Groot. And somehow yeah. he grows from twig to about 100 feet tall in the space of two or three pages and completely takes out everybody, breaks them out. They take over the ship, and Quill actually goes on and all comms to the entire military of his people. Publico calls out his dad and says, Why are you following this guy? And then at that point they uh, they sort of take steal a ship and take off on their way. Yeah. It, it, it very quick story. Um, the, you know, uh, obviously there is a lot more going on after this, but but those were the those were the books that we read. It was it was really interesting to see like Iron Man be a part of this because I I was not expecting that I would ever see 
uh, Iron Man and the Guardians interacting. But like you see, like at the beginning of of the books, we have Iron Man just out in space. He's like, I was talking to Peter and Peter said, you know, if I need a break sometime, I should just come out into space. So here I am out in space, just hanging out. And then he's like the one that initially sees like the Badoon ship coming in. And then all of a sudden, you know, P- yep. Peter figures out what's going on. And they're like, you know, I know my dad said, don't go there, but he's obviously up to something. So we better go there. And sure enough, they get there just in time. And, uh, London, I guess, gets invaded for a little bit uh, before they can yep. finally put an end to it. And uh, yeah, it it was it was a it was a fun story. It was interesting. Uh, Peter's dad feels like every bit as big a jerk as he is in the second movie. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, it was interesting to see the Badoon again, which which we had seen way back in the original uh, first appearance. And yeah, they're still up to doing bad things. Yep. So that's one of the big differences, obviously, is that you know in the in the movies, Peter Quill is actually the son of Ego, the Living Planet. He's almost like a you know an, an old as an old as the universe type of godlike creature. So he's got right. sort of almost like half god powers. Whereas in the comic books, he is the son of the king of Spartax, Chasson, and okay. because of that. It's a very different sort of thing. He's still super strong. It gives him additional powers and everything, or power and strength and stuff. But he's nowhere near as souped up in the comics physically as he is in the the movie. In the MCU? Okay. So because of that, there is a big difference there. Much of it's otherwise similar that, you know, you kind of see the... um, I don't know if we read it, but in one of these, there's a .5 issue. And that one actually has the whole... Jason crashing on Earth, the ship is wrecked, he has to fix it, falls in love with Meredith, and then, unfortunately, the Badoon come down after finding out that he's left an heir on Earth and kill his mom, and then he has to escape off-planet. So, also in the, his, his backstory, at least unless they've changed it, is less tragic in terms of his father didn't intentionally murder his mother in the yes. comic universe it was <laughs> sure. it was the badoon right so uh, yeah but i found these interesting i also think that this was kind of a shame that we didn't go farther but we try to leave the number of books manageable for you but this right. is an interesting win because in the ones i didn't have you read like you noted there's a lot going on the earth is in all sorts of trouble Quill was actually experiencing these weird visions. We were seeing all sorts of different realities during the books we read. And what we find out is that in other events on Earth, there's evidently been a breakdown of space-time. And space-time has been broken for the entire galaxy by Earth. And that's now going to lead into another big event in the summer. But right now it means that Earth has gone from this backwater planet that doesn't have decent cell phone communication to a galactic threat level problem in the minds of most of the Marvel Universe's big and powerful empires. So they're all going to get ready to attack Earth. And in something that's way off topic and we can't deal with right now, but is cool, Angela, a character created originally by Neil Gaiman and, and, um, and Todd McFarlane for the Spawn universe, 
After a bunch of legal wrangling, Gaiman got the copyright, sold it to Marvel, and Angela drops in in the middle of book five from the Spawn universe, and then oh my goodness, we deal with all of this. Plus, uh, the books are are drawn by Sarah Pacelli, and they are fantastically beautiful. So the comics coming up after this are well worth reading. And in fact, I've been kind of... I think one thing that tells you, in my mind, tells me that these are books that are good is I couldn't stop when we were supposed to stop. Sure. So I've been I've been reading... I think I read seven or eight of the, the ones from 2013, and I read probably 10 of the ones from... 10 or 12 of the ones from the early ones. And then kind of reading through as well on the on the 2020 they're just fun books and they and they move pretty quickly most of the time so but yeah lots going on oh my goodness yeah bendis has a really i i appreciate and like the way bendis writes a story it it tends to be pretty quick and easy to get through and the artwork in this looks really good there's a lot of a lot of really interesting things like visually a lot of very interesting things going on and even kind of the the i want to call them like the star wars council scenes the 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 back and forth there is still interesting even even if there's no action really going on absolutely yeah i i I thought these were interesting there is a there is so much depth to all the different races and all the different things going on and like the big global council with all, you know, you've got essentially um, Freya from Asgard, Thor's mom, coming in as sort of declaring herself as the defender of Earth. Like, you know, you're, you will, you will be messing with me if you mess with Earth type of things and right. stuff like this. So there's a lot going on with races you haven't seen yet. You know, things uh, like the Shi'ar or the Brood Empire and stuff like this. So those are all very famous races that have had fights with the X-Men or worked with other characters and everything else over time. So So, just a quick, between the first ones in 2008 and these ones we read in 2013, initial take, which do you think you you liked better? I, I think I had a better understanding, even though I didn't have this big a picture of 2013 as the 2008 i think i enjoyed that more Uh, and i think kind of the way in which the things were slowly getting revealed i think probably would make me enjoy that 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 more if i was to read on in it there you go so 20 so 2013 you preferred it to 2008 correct and now we're going to talk about the one that it, it sounds like may have been your favorite of these. Yes. So, why don't you go ahead and tell us about this one, Dwayne? So the final Guardians of the Galaxy books that we're going to look at are from 2020. We read the first four books. They're written by Al Ewing, Juan Cabal on art, Federico Blee on colors, and Corey Petit on letters. Uh, this story picks up with the Guardians relaxing on Half-World after completing their most recent mission. The break doesn't last long as Richard Ryder, a.k.a. Nova, comes asking for the Guardians' help to take on some Olympian gods headed by Zeus who've come to life and have been terrorizing colonies throughout the galaxy. Gamora says no, 
to the group helping and that night Peter and Rocket Raccoon sneak out to meet Nova uh, and help him. They, along with Moondragon, Philavel, and Marvel Boy hatch a plan to destroy the city ship Olympus the gods are using to travel around in. Nova and Moondragon create a distraction while Rocket, Quill, and the others assault the city. The plan does not go very well, and Quill ends up sacrificing himself so the rest of the group, plus a rescued Hercules, can escape. The group then travels back to the rest of the Guardians on Half-World to share what has happened. Gamora takes that especially hard, and after a few days we see Gamora taking the new Guardians, minus Rocket, back out looking for work. It is that time they're hired by as some extra muscle by Blackjack O'Hare, who's looking to fill out his ranks to take on a contract from Caster Narbecue III, CEO of Beaverton Incorporated, that will mean clashing with Nova, Rocket, and the team that were there when Peter died. This was an unexpectedly interesting story that I actually, like you said, really, really liked a lot. And, and I will tell you, I think the biggest reason why is if you'd have told me there could be a guardian story in which there was no Peter Quill or that Peter Quill had died, I, I would think that that would be impossible. And so just by, subverting expectations and having that happen so early on and then having you know rocket raccoon end up being persona non grata with with uh with gamora uh going forward that that he's no longer available it just it was it was so interesting and like i don't know the the freaking narbecue the third guy the the head of beaverton incorporated is just it, it it's as crazy as it sounds is a beaver he is a beaver is, yes the same he way that rocket raccoon is a is is a raccoon he is sort of like a an and inter, and a stellar creature who looks like a beaver and and blackjack o'hare is in fact a rabbit too as well yes, yes he is a partly cyborg heavily armored rabbit yes who's Who's actually had quite a history in Marvel Comics, believe it or not. So okay, I I did I I was unfamiliar with him as well. <laughs> he he apparently has had some run-ins with the Guardians, and specifically, it sounds like Gamora specifically, as noted at the beginning of Book Four in this, he is like, no, I want nothing to do, or no, it's Rocket. I think that he doesn't want to have anything to do with. Yes, I believe. And don't quote me on this because I haven't, I haven't read this in a while. But I believe that Blackjack's ex-wife is also a love interest of Rocket Raccoon, and so <laughs> of because of there, there's there's some angry love triangle going on, uh, and so they're they're always trying to kill each other because they both love the same otter. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's a wild and wacky anthropomorphic world out there in the Marvel universe. So what do what did you think of these books? Because like it it sounds like these maybe this was maybe the first time that you had read these books as well. And and I I really liked him. I had absolutely not read these. And I will tell you that 
one of the most interesting things to me over the last while is a lot of times now when we're reading the stuff we read for the movies, I will read ahead like with some of the stuff from the last couple of years or whatever. And with, with things going on with the kids and then with me sort of obsessing more with small press and, and, you know, image and a lot of the other non-superhero stuff the last few years, I haven't read as much Marvel and, and DC as I did back in the day. So reading some of this stuff from 2020, 21, 22, I'm really impressed by how good it is that they're doing a really, a really nice job. These books are obviously a bit tongue in cheek, you know, because they're doing some crazy stuff. You've got like on, on one of the pages in the number four I'm looking at, you've actually got Groot sitting there in the, in the uh, Beaverton Incorporated headquarters offices reading a, a copy of the Death of Captain Marvel graphic novel that Marvel put out in, like, 1984, <laughs> right? So, uh -huh. I mean, it is, there's a lot of meta stuff. There's a lot of goofy stuff. But what they, what they do is they're tracking a good story beneath it. You know, like the way that they handled Gamora in this. There's almost an entire issue where it's just Gamora kind of sitting there thinking about life and, and sort of going through what she's going to do. The first part of the story also, and and this is kind of weird, um, but is this the one where we had the first half of one of the issues where everything was spoken from Groot's yeah, perspective? Yeah, so the third book, after, after Peter sacrifices himself at the end of book two, you have rocket and hercules and 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 the the nova and them going back to to half world to tell gamora and the team what happened and everyone speaks like groot except for groot who is speaking like any other character so you have like gamora just says i am gamora i am gamora rockets i am rocket i am rocket hercules says i am hercules and, and and Groot's talking like, no, it's fine. Peter's been gone for a few days. He just doesn't want to get yelled at. It's no big deal. He'll be fine. He'll they'll show up momentarily. And you're like, and it to me was incredibly powerful to watch. I have no idea exactly what was said, but just the visuals and seeing just the like look of concern and then Gamora just backhands Rocket after after he tells her what what has happened and then just walks off. And and I'm just like, this is surprisingly just sort of poignant and and, and unexpected. And it was just another one of those things that I, I if you'd have told me that we would have eight pages of just people talking like Groot. And I was going to be affected by it. That's exactly what happened. And, and it was great. Yeah, what's interesting, I mean, this is, this puts a lot of pressure on the people who are drawing it. Yeah. To really, to really, truly tell the story and to get you in your own mind to fill in the balloons. Like, yeah. what we have is, you know, each of the characters is saying things like, I am Gamora in an angry voice. And then Rocket kind of bows his head and he's like, I 
I am rocket. You know, that, but what the, what's happening, if they're doing it right, is you're putting all of the, the dialogue in. Yeah. And so it allows you, if you, if you connect to it, to tell a far stronger story than they were able to. It also, from another standpoint, is, you know, the, the writer sort of giving up their responsibility of writing the dialogue <laughs> that needs to yep. go there. Uh -huh. and, and trusting you to do this. And, and, you know, pawning all the work off on their artist. So, nonetheless, I, I think that in it took me a while to understand what was happening. But once I did, I went back and I reread them again. And then I think I liked it. Yeah. And, and like, immediately after you talked about it, like, Gamora is devastated. And so she's thinking back to, like, the first issue where he's talking about well, they could just stay and live in half world forever. That the, 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 the you know this is the, everyone's happy. You know, Rocket's in a suit. He's he seems content. the The group is is happy, and he's like, well, you know, who who says it has to end? You know, and then suddenly responsibility calls, and and he's no longer there, and and she she's sad and angry, and 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 you can just empathize exactly with what's what's going on as she's as, as she's trying to deal with with what's what has happened and how she's going to move forward yeah and it's also interesting because of the counterpoint again with the mcu where in the comics we have gamora losing peter quill and having to deal with that and yeah. then in the movies we have exactly the opposite occur where right. quill loses gamora but that in both of them uh after a long time of that not being the case they did obviously in the comics and i didn't know this until i'd read them that they'd actually gotten them together in the comics as well but that they were evidently quite happy and ready to settle down and have barbecues until they were you know pulled away and then the reason why gamora is so angry is because they snuck out on her and didn't bring the whole team and then rocket comes back minus one guardian so yeah yeah so I don't know. There was just, I, I think it was the story. It was that third book in particular that I think really stuck out to me. And I would tell you, I, I can't quite put my finger on why, but the artwork in, in this last series just resonated with me quite a bit there. It, it's, there's nothing flashy. It's, it's very simple, very clean, very easy to follow. I will tell you this rocket specifically looks exactly like he does in the movies in these books like exactly <laughs> yeah. what and obviously there's been a couple movies since since these books had come out so if they wanted to model draw him and model him after kind of the the mcu version they definitely could and and it does it it looks exactly like rocket and i could just i could hear rocket and i could hear it, this this felt like my team my guardians that i'd seen in two movies like this was the next story and and but it was a a must much less lighthearted story than than say the stories that i think we've had in the in the first couple of movies even even though there's been some kind of major things that have happened in those book in those in those movies yep that makes sense no i i, I think that you are correct that especially in the early ones, Rocket had a much more almost triangular head. Like his 
his the hair on the side of his face came out a lot farther. <laughs> yeah. And and now they've they've made it the model is and really for all of the characters, Gamora has a bit of a look like the movie, you know, like the the actual characters. Drax they have not changed to look like he looks in the movies at all. Uh in no. fact Drax did not look right to me in these, but that was about the only one. Other than that, um, and I would agree, I think the art worked really well, which is weird considering that there's four pencilers that are credited on some of these issues. And normally when you get that many people working on something, it ends up being kind of a mess. But in this case, they used, I think, different people for some of the flashbacks or for different characters, and it worked really well. So There is... There was one, there's a, another thing in here in, in these books where Rock, I think it was Rocket talks about meeting Peter for the very first time. And it looked like they took a panel from like a yes. very old comic and, and uh, Rocket's in like a, a jail cell and Peter's outside kind of talking to him. And, and like, it was, it was literally like, normal story just going through and then all of a sudden this random panel from another comic book from ages ago looked like it might have been from like the 80s or something and uh mm -hmm. and and it was it, it was really interesting to see actually just something that felt like a flashback felt reminiscent and, and also it it made it feel more genuine i think too in that it, it's like you saw a panel from from like them actually meeting for the very first time. Yeah, that I, I think those were, and there was three or four other panels too, and I think those were also out of previous comic books. So they just kind of did a, did a flashback using that structure. So very cool stuff. It was it was interesting to me too, just from a, a couple of things they did. They actually put the title of the uh, of the story on the front of each of them. So like number three, you know, forever if we wanted, and they yeah. and number four, uh, you hardly ever see that. That's very unusual on a comic. I actually, after seeing it, I'm like, you know, I kind of wish they did that on a lot. <laughs> so yeah, the 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 cover art on this on the 2020 series looks good as well. It looks like they had some some specific artists that they pulled in, um, and yep. to do to do those, and and some of those have some really interesting and 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 unique looks to them yeah that said there was i i think it was this one but there was one of them were in the letter column they had a letter from somebody who showed sent it a picture showing that he'd collected all 21 covers for issue one of guardians of the galaxy oh wow which uh, that's a lot of covers so <laughs> there you go that that is a lot of covers. Yeah. I think it was that, anyways. Yeah, so that uh, that gets a little crazy. But the art, the art overall was really good, and these stories were fun. So this this would be your favorite, actually. Yeah, like I like I said, it's just something about the artwork, the story, subverting expectations, the fact that they they really hooked me with that third book. I. I I'm going to have to find some time to, to read further into this and see where it goes from here and, and see how long it keeps me. But right now I'm very, I, I was very impressed by this series. Very cool.
I think I would probably, I'd probably like the first ones, the 2008, because I'm a big Adam Warlock fan, and I like sort of the fact that Church Universal Truth is coming in. But a lot of that is inside baseball stuff that would is partly informed just by stuff I've liked for years. Yeah. I will say that I think if we read more of them, the Guardians of the Galaxy in 2013, once you get past the first few books into the Sarah Pacelli stuff and, and forward, which we couldn't just skip into them because it would have made even less sense than it made when we started. <laughs> but right. that is actually a really interesting series too. And the, the, the artwork and everything is just fantastic. So all of these, yeah, I, if somebody asked me, would you, you know, should I read this if I'm a Guardians movie fan? I think any of these, I'd be fine saying, yeah, you know, sure, yeah. just don't read the 1968 book. And you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think I, the one thing I would say is it, it feels like it, for me at least, for the 2008 books, it feels like there's lots of characters and locations that I don't know a ton about. And like, you know, and, and so it feels like I'm missing out on some knowledge that to our context, I think, for those, it, it feels less relevant in kind of these other other two story arcs. And maybe maybe it would be needed if we get further into them. But at least it, it felt like at least in the six books that we read from from 2008, it felt like I was behind when it when it when i started reading these books i felt behind and and, and i haven't actually felt like that in in some time which kind of kind of was well weird. the cosmic universe man it yeah it will always feel that way i i've been reading for years and i still uh, some of that stuff i got to remember all sorts of things when i dig into these so one serious question about the 2020 books like you know we've got a lot of folks who didn't like the goats in Thor and didn't like some of the stuff going on where comics and, and comic movies get more sort of, you know, like jokey and the like. Uh-huh. Do you worry that if, if somebody who's a movie fan picks up, you know, something with Castor Nauberk, the third CEO of Beaverton <laughs> Incorporated, that they're, that they're going to throw it down? I mean, are these too jokesy for your average MCU fan, or do you think they hit right where they should for that sort of thing? They do for you, obviously. They, they do for me. And I, I would say that I am going to suggest something that I never thought I would actually suggest it. It is that I am more of a comic book fan than I am a much more of a comic book fan than your average MCU fan is. And so it is easier for me to get into a really good story in a comic book than maybe it would be for others. Like I think I think the idea of of Peter Quill dying is something that would be sacrilegious to an MC, like a just MCU only fan and I could mm -hmm. see them basically just getting into that third book and being just like nope, I'm out. I, I and and like, I, I I could very easily see something like that happening. I don't think that there's anything like seeing a talking beaver that's running an energy company isn't. I I think that's the least <laughs> of the problems. 
it's it's more of if you, if you're trying to pick this up and suddenly you know you've okay. got moon moon dragon who is apparently drax's daughter which yep. you know i i did not know drax had a daughter uh be, before this and that a number of them yeah and and uh we also in this had two different versions of moon dragon one from like the 616 the the prime universe and then we had this other one that was helping uh nova mm -hmm. and that when peter died that has had kind of i guess this privileged life and and doesn't have the the same baggage that the uh the 616 moon dragon does mm -hmm. and so there was kind of this uh in that third book you had kind of this exchange between uh drax and 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 moon dragon and you see that Drax, once upon a time, was like this jazz player from like New Orleans or something. And and I was like, I don't know any of this. Arthur Douglas. Yeah, I had no idea who who this who this guy is or or why why he's like that. But but and again, I don't believe the MCU Drax yeah. has any sort of human past sort of thing. But Drax the Destroyer in the comics, yeah comes out yeah. of a different past yeah so so you have those you have all these locations like i i know we've had nowhere that we've seen like in the holiday special and and some like yeah. we had half world talked about we had Hala was talked about throughout in some of these books and like i now know who some of these places are because i've been playing marvel snap and their locations of the game but i don't know them like in a in an MCU slash comic book sense and, and, and their significance, if any, uh, yeah. and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, we, we, we've talked about Quasar or, or Phil Avail and, and she plays like a, a rather important role in, in a lot of these stories yet. I don't really know Quasar at all. Yeah. Partly because she's so powerful. I mean, her and her and Adam's Adam Warlock, part of the problem with them is they are, they are Superman level creatures that uh, once you bring okay. them in, it is it is difficult to, you know, exactly explain how a tree is somehow or another going to be relevant in your battle when you've got you know, a sun <laughs> god. So yeah. But uh so that's interesting though. So I hadn't thought of that, but that if anything, you're you're thinking that if somebody's already bought in on stories with a like a homicidal raccoon, the 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 beavers and the like aren't the problem. It might be that the star character from the movie has been offed <laughs> yes. through the first couple of issues. Yes. Okay. Yes. I can buy that. Excellent. Excellent. So, well, so that's our stories. That's the the first few here. I think we uh, we could go in to have a few final thoughts and the like. I guess first off, what were your opinions on your first? your first guardians of the galaxy comics as a whole. I, I thought the stories were actually really good. And, and I, I don't know what I was expecting going in because the movie versions of these characters are so, so like they're, they're entertaining. Right. And they're, it was, I, I remember seeing the movie and being very unexpected unexpectedly surprised how much i liked the movie and like i could definitely see some aspects of the characters in these stories 
But at the same time, I read these stories and I'm like, I don't know if I would want to see a movie about these characters. Like it was, it was really weird. It, it was like, I know that there ends up being a really good set of movies based on these characters. Yet I don't see how these characters would make a really good movie. But that, so that was the thing that that jumped out to me. I guess is that the stories were good. I liked, I liked some of the characters. The characters were interesting and had cool backgrounds. But I just didn't see how you'd get a movie out of them, much less multiple movies. Yeah, and and I think the thing is that when you when you look at a movie, it's all about sort of the actual characters and and that sort of stuff. And one of the things is that there is so much action and so much going on, and so many characters that it's hard to really build up the the connections the way that they had to. And it, it really goes to show, I think, how how well the movie did at sort of building that team and making us care about them and understand them all within that ridiculously short period of a movie. Yeah. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see as we go through that this coming week. And I think I would agree. I, I also was not sure, especially on the newer ones, what I'd think. But I was impressed. I enjoyed these books. I read more of them than I had to. So, you know, like I said, I'd read maybe just the first five or six issues of the 2008 one, and I hadn't read any of the 2013 uh, or 2020. And I read well past what I was supposed to and enjoyed them. So, well played, Marvel. Well played. All right, we're done with the books here. Where where are we going next? What, what's up for next week? So next week, we are checking out the movie. We have taken a quick look at some Guardians of the Galaxy comics, and now we go back in to actually checking out the first Guardians of the Galaxy film from 2014. Am I correct? 2014? That is correct. So many of you have already seen it and enjoyed it, and... For me, all I need is about the first 20 seconds of the music kicking up and him kicking a rat, and I am uh-huh. fully on board with this movie. So yeah. I have, I remember panicking leading into it about the fact that this was probably going to be the first crash and burn movie of the Marvel Universe, which was doing so good. And I sat there in my seat, and just all those fears just washed away as that first scene unfolded and looking for i always look forward to watching this movie i've seen it way more times than is reasonable i have not i've only seen it probably two three times maybe and it's been a little while since i've seen it so i'm looking forward to seeing it again and talking about it with you uh, next week excellent let's do it Yes. And with that, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. As always, if you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you're new to the podcast or you've been with us since the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Please send them to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. Or you can message us via Twitter. We are at comicsovertime over there. 
Dan, I, it was very interesting seeing the origin and some of the com- more recent comics from Guardians of the Galaxy, and it has definitely put me in the mood to seeing the movie again. I am excited to see how or if the movie changes now that I have some background that I did not have when I first first saw this film. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it again, too. It uh, has definitely gotten me ready to rewatch it. So let's do it, and we will come back here next week and talk about it with everyone. Sounds good. Until then, take care, everybody. See you next week, folks.